Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Life-changing moments, life-changing people. Because on With Wit, very little is off-limits. My guest today is one of the most passionate and intelligent women I know, and I am so excited for you guys to meet her. Erica Chitty Cohen is an educator, author, doula, and the co-founder and CEO of Loom, which provides empowered health education for everybody. She has written an amazing book that is a must-read for all of you soon-to-be moms titled Nurture, A Modern Guide to Pregnancy, Birth, Early Motherhood, and Trusting Yourself and Your Body. I met her because I actually went to a weekend version of this book where Timmy and I sat with about five other couples and learned all about what we were in for, what labor was all about, all this stuff that you don't realize is going to happen to your body that you want to know and feel empowered for. Just wanted to let you guys know that we recorded this episode with Erica before I actually even knew I was pregnant or had the miscarriage, so... If you're wondering why we didn't talk about it or get into it, that's the reason. You can find her on Instagram at EricaChittyCohen and EricaChittyCohen.com. And now here is my guest, Erica Chitty Cohen. I am here with Erica Chitty Cohen, an amazing doula whose career has changed paths quite a few times, but you're still... Still a doula, correct? Yes, yes. Okay, so for all the people that don't necessarily know what a doula is, can you give us a little bit of a definition, description? Yeah, of yeah. course. So I am a birth postpartum doula. I'm also a lactation educator counselor, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Loom out here in LA that provides empowered education from periods to parenting. And in terms of what doulas do, I think the best way to describe a doula is we are there to help people feel confident and feel anchored in their birth experience, if that's what they're going through. Or doulas also work around other reproductive experiences, whether it's postpartum or um, if someone has, you know, lost a baby. There's a lot of different ways that doulas can can show up. And mm-hmm. I think, especially for first-time moms, going through the process of pregnancy and getting ready to, you know, go through the process of birth can feel really daunting. Mm-hmm. And so 
doulas really are normalizers. Mm -hmm. So the things that are going on during your pregnancy that can feel really just like odd or bizarre or things that are happening in the birth that can feel like, whoa, this doesn't feel normal. For a doula, they've been through the experience a number of times. And so they can kind of help pull you back and say, you're doing great. This is what to expect. You're, you're like right on target, which I think that ability to have someone to kind of, you know, touch back with and to help kind of get you more organized when you feel like you're flailing can be so incredibly impactful. And that's really how doulas show up as educators. And Mm -hmm. then as your kind of cheerleader and kind of normalizer through this very, you know, foreign process. It's so amazing. It feels like something that healthcare should provide for every single woman that is ever pregnant, right? I, know, I, know. I mean, I didn't even know, and, and this is probably ignorant and naive, but I didn't even really know what a doula was until I actually got pregnant, which is probably... I mean, not surprising. I didn't know how a lot of things were going to go once I got pregnant, once I had the baby. I feel like it's really not until you're in it that you start learning about what is actually involved in it. But it is, it's so incredible. And I heard about you and Timmy and I actually took your two-day labor course, which is now one-day labor course. Yes. And the information that you gave and the way that you gave it was so inspiring and helpful because labor is such a scary, scary thing as well as pregnancy and postpartum issues and motherhood, everything around it is so scary. And I just think you're so amazing the way that you teach. You really are about boosting a woman's confidence as opposed to telling them that this is how it should go. I remember specifically talk thinking about birth plan, um, how you were like, you know, birth plans aren't necessarily the most empowering things because if it doesn't go exactly how you thought it was going to go, you're going to maybe feel disappointed or insecure about yourself. So what would you say, I mean, we're jumping ahead a little bit because I want to go back into getting pregnant and whatnot, but what kind of advice would you give to people who are like all about their birth plans? Well, you know, I think birth plans are, like you said, they can be a little bit of a trap because people can become very focused and fixated on wanting to execute that plan perfectly. And the thing about birth is that birth is fluid. Mm -hmm. The only thing that is constant or is something you can count on in birth is that it's going to change. And so what I really want, you know, pregnant people, women to kind of get connected with as opposed to a plan is their preferences. Understanding if everything is going well, if everything is going normally, here are the things that I would like to implement, Mm -hmm. right? And then, you know, adding on to that is this idea of kind of educated ambivalence, right? So I think what I try to instill, whether it's through my book Nurture or at Loom, Mm -hmm. is that understanding your options is so key. Mm -hmm. Because if you're educated about, okay, this is what might happen if I have an unmedicated labor or a medicated labor, if I deliver vaginally, if I have a cesarean, you're going to go in feeling a sense of confidence, Mm -hmm. regardless of what's happening. Mm -hmm. The issue really is when you haven't gotten any real education, and you already are fearful, and you are and you don't have an idea of this 
new environment you're going right. into, it's only going to heighten your discomfort. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is having preferences, being educated about those preferences, and then also being ambivalent, being like, you know what? I don't know how it's going to go, mm -hmm. but I do feel educated on what could potentially happen. Mm -hmm. And that combination of education and ambivalence, I think, is so key because it really protects you from this feeling of shame or this feeling of, oh, I didn't do it the right way. Because right, there is no right way. There isn't a right way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is a physiological process. We don't necessarily know how the body is going to respond to the stressors of labor, although our bodies are built to do this work. Mm -hmm. You know, our environment, our world is not the same as it right, was, you right. know, a millennia ago. And so we have to really understand that we we birth the way that we live. Mm -hmm. And so it we really have to look at that experience or the experience of birth more holistically. And I think that brings me to my whole concept that I think a lot of people potentially are listening to this have heard is mm -hmm. that I really don't subscribe or believe in the term natural birth. I think it's very divisive Exclusive. exactly yeah, yeah because what what is natural to someone is not to another person and natural doesn't really have a clear definition no it's, yeah no. i agree with you on yeah. that yeah. yeah i always would never even say it right because it felt weird to me to say it and then now that you say that out loud i'm like oh i realize why it felt weird for me to say that because it doesn't it feels exclusive yeah it's ex yeah. it's exclusive and it's it's hierarchical mm -hmm. and it's also competitive it's mm -hmm. inherently competitive mm -hmm. to be like i want a natural birth we are all natural we're all made of this mm -hmm. world mm -hmm. and i think also the term natural birth is very it's infantilizing it's like it's, it puts you in this very kind of paternal dynamic where right. it's like oh this is or not even paternal I would say maybe a fundamental dynamic mm -hmm. whereas the process of birth is is much more dynamic right. and I think it's important for people to rather than use this like euphemistic language around the experience just call out the landmarks was right. it vaginal was it cesarean was it medicated was it unmedicated mm -hmm. let's use really adult and you know anchored language to discuss the experience so that we can have more empathy for everyone else's experience and now word from our sponsor I've tried a million other deodorants and Native is really the only one that works. I sweat a lot, you guys, out of a lot of different places. And I also really, really require something that's clean. There's so much out there these days that says how bad all of these you know, big brand deodorants are for you. So Native is one of those that will actually stave away sweat, but also be good for your bod. As you guys know, I have a lot going on, and as I just said, I sweat a lot. So Native can hang with my workout, which is hot yoga. I mean, who doesn't sweat a lot in hot yoga, and who doesn't smell after hot yoga? Not me. Whether you're a busy mom or you have a 16-hour day, it really stands the test of time. Test it out, and let me know what you guys think. People really, really, really love Native. They have over 8,000 five-star reviews. You can check them out on the Today Show, Women's Health, Elle, Good Morning America, Pop Sugar, Nylon, Hello Giggles. I mean, they are everywhere. Less is really more with Native. They have fewer and simpler ingredients, so you know everything that's in the deodorant, which feels like a big relief. Aluminum may be linked to some serious health ramifications. Although Native is priced at a slight premium when compared to conventional deodorants, it is safe and effective. It also comes in 
and a wide variety of enticing scents for men and women. Plus, they release new limited edition seasonal scents throughout the year. They also offer an unscented formula and baking soda-free formula for those with sensitivities, especially for you women that are pregnant. I know scents can obviously be icky for you, so this is a really, really good one for you to try. The classic deodorant scents include coconut and vanilla, which is their most popular, the lavender and rose, cucumber and mint, and eucalyptus and mint. I personally like the eucalyptus and mint. It feels like I've just left a spa. They offer free returns and exchanges in the USA, so subscribe and save 17%. You guys can save $2 per stick and have Native conveniently delivered to your door every one, two, three, or four months, depending on how much you need it. For 20% off your purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code WITHWIT during checkout. That's nativedeodorant.com and use promo code WITHWIT during checkout to get 20% off. Do not sleep on this one. Now back to our show. I want to go back to the beginning a little bit and for you to tell me a little how you got into this. Like, was there a day you woke up and you're like, I want to be a doula? Like, <laughs> when did you even learn that something like this existed, you well, know? Well, I was actually really interested in becoming a midwife. Okay. And so en route to that point, I was doing all my nursing prerequisites and uh, found out about doulas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have, you know, kind of a fun background in a couple different industries from, you know, PR, communications, art, all of that. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of one of my best skills is being a good communicator or being a good educator yes. and taking like really complicated concepts and making them simple and mm-hmm. easy to digest. You are and very good at that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and so I found out about doulas and I was like, oh, this is really interesting. You know, it it's more psychosocial. It's psychoeducational. I'm not going to be, you know, checking vitals. I'm not, you know, drawing blood. I'm not delivering the baby. But mm-hmm. I am helping this person, you know, discover their own, you know, inner strength to feel more confident in the experience. I'm helping them break down like larger macro issues and helping them figure out how do all these different pieces feel fit together and Mm -hmm. how did they, you know, move into this next phase of their lives with, you know, with confidence. There's like a motivational component there. Um, So I took a training under midwife in San Francisco. I loved it. And um, I also was working at a parenting store there at the time and uh, was able to kind of get clients because I was already like in this store where like pregnant people were coming all the time. Uh, So I was able to grow my practice pretty quickly through that. And before I went to college, I went to culinary school. And so I had this like food background and I was able to kind of build that into the pregnancy work and build that into the the nourishment is so important from the second someone. I mean, even from trying to get pregnant, nourishing your body is so important. I know you helped my sister a lot because she started to think about getting pregnant and wanted to be on prenatals and you told her the whole regimen. So for people that are even just starting to think about wanting to get pregnant, what is like your formula for them? I mean, obviously each person has something different, but what would you suggest? Well, I think, I think the three things I would say would be one, make sure that you're taking a good prenatal. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really important to make sure that your prenatal has a good amount of folate in it or um, methylated folate, preferably because that's more bioavailable. um, And we know that folate helps to prevent neural tube defects in a fetus 
prior to double digit weeks of gestation. And that's okay. typically when most people don't even know they're pregnant. So, right. um, and folate doesn't get stored in the body. You have to continue replenishing it. So, um, making sure that that's there. Okay. And then the other thing I would say as well is to make sure that, like I said, taking that prior to even thinking about getting pregnant. Right. Like even like if having that in your body yes. and being, you know, in your blood before you're even starting. Correct. Like at least three months, six months prior, just like jump on a jump on a prenatal if you're thinking about it. And Mm -hmm. I really love uh, rituals prenatal. It's like direct to consumer. Okay. It's all like really clean and vetted and all of that. And I'm taking their two a days right now. I got them at your event. Yeah. I love them. I love them too. I've been taking rituals since they started and I think it's really fantastic. And I like that it shows up because that's going to stop the potential of you interrupting the, you know, getting it into your system. Right. So I would say definitely for sure with the folate and also vitamin D is really key to have, um, you know, a good amount stored in the body. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing I would say also is just, you know, starting to understand your cycle, um, having an understanding of, you know, when you're actually, you know, bleeding and when you're having your period, Mm -hmm. you know, understanding when you're ovulating, trying to get a little bit of a picture of that. Can you tell us what that is? Because I still don't even know. Yeah, of course. So, (laughs) and I got pregnant and I don't even really know how. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's not, that's everybody. Yeah. I mean, so so again, it's like our culture hasn't done a great job of providing good sex education. Mm -hmm. Um, We get it in sixth grade, but then 20 years later is when we're starting to want to get pregnant. Exactly. Not even 30. 25, 30 years later. So it's like, yeah, we need the sex ed earlier. Well, the quick version is there are four phases of your menstrual cycle. So there is menstruation. That's when you're bleeding. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there is the follicular phase, which is when the bleeding ends. Mm -hmm. And then there's ovulation, which is around one to three days of the month. And then there is your ovulation phase. Mm -hmm. And then there is the luteal phase, which is around, you know, anywhere from 10 to 16 days of the month. So you basically have two major phases of your menstrual cycle there's pre-ovulatory which Mm -hmm. is your period and the follicular phase Mm -hmm. and post-ovulatory which is your luteal phase Mm -hmm. and in terms of when you're able to conceive there's actually only about seven days six or seven days within the whole I thought it was like two days no no it's a a little it's a little bit longer and um also sperm has a pretty long half-life in the body you know Mm -hmm. up to three to five days so you know when we're thinking about getting pregnant you're trying to optimize that window of Mm -hmm. days Mm -hmm. and in terms of ovulation you know ovulating is typically you know coupled with feeling you know more high energy kind of more communicative, like, you know, feeling more aroused, not just sexually, but you will, but also just generally more kind of hyped up on life. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, monitoring something called your cervical mucus, which your cervical mucus, which is released from your cervix, which Mm -hmm. is the opening of the uterus. Mm -hmm. And the uterus is where babies are grown. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, (laughs) you're welcome. Um, And so that cervical mucus changes throughout the month. um, And right around ovulation, it goes from potentially being more like a lotiony texture to looking more like the consistency of egg whites. Mm-hmm. And so for people, raw egg whites, by the way. So for people who are trying to get pregnant, you want to start to just notice the shifting of that cervical mucus and not just tracking when you're bleeding and when you're not bleeding, but mm-hmm. just looking at the entire cycle and noticing the waxing and waning of your energy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to help give you a better picture. And again, understanding that it's not just like a 48 hour window. Right. It is a 
having much wetter window. I had no um, idea. And yeah. do, you, do you tell anybody to use those period trackers, yes. the apps? Yes. yes. I love Clue. The, Clue. I okay. think Clue is really great in terms of just straight kind of period tracking. Mm-hmm. And you can track cervical fluid there. You can track bowel movements there because actually your bowel movements typically will pick up like right around when you get your period just due to like a hormonal flex that's going on. And then I think Ava is another good mm-hmm. um, tool. It's a wearable um, device mm-hmm. that... I've uh, heard of that. Yeah. I've seen that on so, Instagram. Yeah, it's good. I yeah. mean, it tracks your basal body temperature. Uh, and the thing about basal body temperature is it's helpful. It's it's a, it's a piece of reflective data. So when you've had elevated temps for around three days, that lets us know that you have ovulated, okay. right? However, you know, in terms of optimizing, you know, the... That, that period of time to actually conceive, we're a little bit more interested in your cervical mucus and what's happening with that because that shift in cervical mucus is going to be the first indicator that you're heading towards that fertile time of the month. Got it. So it's not just automatically those seven days after you stop bleeding. It's around... Typically, so around day 10 from the first day that you have your period is going to be the day when you'll start to have some cervical mucus change. Okay. And then typically your peak of fertility is around day 17 to 21 from the first day that you bled. Okay. So counting all the way out to there. Right. Um, If you have a normal, like regular cycle, Mm -hmm. right? But what... I think is important to remember is that you can start trying to optimize that upcoming, you know, high fertility window by having sex more regularly, kind of say from day 13, 14, 15 onwards and kind of using up the maximum amount of time and that period of time. Or if you're working with a donor, same thing, like trying to kind of work in and around that period of time. Got it. Okay. That's really helpful. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to get pregnant right now, but I'm sure there are a lot of people, people listening. That are, yeah, they're thinking about it. Yeah. Always. Okay, I want to talk about miscarriages because I feel like it's this word that we hear but that no one really talks a lot about. Like I think that there are a lot of struggles with motherhood that people are really starting to have a lot of conversations about, but that miscarriages are something that's like this silent thing that mm. women are struggling with internally cuz one they don't really a lot of them haven't told anybody that they're even pregnant yet, so they're not really Ready to share anything or talk about it. And also it feels, I think, it can feel shameful to people, like they didn't do something right or their mm-hmm. body didn't. What kind of words of wisdom or support do you give to women who have suffered them? And and also just how common are they? Because I think that they're a lot more common than we actually even know. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think the first thing I want to say is anyone who's listening to this that's had a miscarriage that, you know, I'm just sending you so much love and support. I think um, there's a tendency to kind of trivialize a miscarriage Mm -hmm. when it's like oh I was only four weeks or six weeks and you know those were four or six weeks that you were really you know potentially really excited and already just you know thinking about what this future was going to look like you were picturing yourself as a mother you're picturing your baby you've already changed almost every little thing in your life that you're currently doing I mean it's like a huge identity shift as soon as you find out you're pregnant yeah a hundred percent so I just want to acknowledge that it is just a profound experience Mm -hmm. just even those those few weeks Mm -hmm. and you know in terms of just the 
you know, f- how common it is. Yeah. It's very common. You know, um, it's it, it's actually more common to have a miscarriage than to have a you know a viable you know full term pregnancy, and you know especially for women you know that are you know a little older. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's mm-hmm. and, and a lot of us are having children older now. I mean, right. I think the median age of childbirth in the United States is twenty eight. Wow. So you know it is more common. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is on the one end, one way of thinking about it is, you know, a miscarriage is the body's way of, you know, handling something that was probably pretty complex. Right. And this was probably what needed to take place mm-hmm. in order to, you know, protect you, to protect your body and to, and to say that potentially this child might not have been able to survive. Right. 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 You know, on the other hand, I really want to support people around discussing it more mm-hmm. because there is nothing you did to make that miscarriage happen. Mm -hmm. You didn't travel too much. It wasn't that one glass of wine you had. It wasn't that like workout you did that was too hard. You know, the body is a little bit more resilient than that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so to kind of be soft and be gentle and to, you know, not guilt yourself when and if that experience happens to you. And then again, to share what's happened, Mm -hmm. because I think shame really thrives in silence. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about these experiences, it sets us free in a way, maybe not completely, but it really creates less constriction emotionally, even physically. I think when you share something that you've been holding on to, you can feel a release and it also gives other people permission to share what they've experienced. And 100%. so, you know, my really good friend, Dr. Jessica Zucker, she has a platform called I Had a Miscarriage. Um, she's a really incredible uh, psychologist and her whole practice really is around, um, you know, just reproductive, maternal reproductive health and like navigating this particular experience, whether it's a miscarriage, it's stillbirth. Mm -hmm. I, again, I think that ability to read other people's stories, to know that you're not alone Mm -hmm. can feel really uplifting. And in terms of preventing a miscarriage, you know, there really isn't a way to do that. And so I think, you know, we just have to have more conversations about it, know that it's a normal part of, you know, the human experience and to not feel like you have to suffer, you know, through this alone and not feel that your miscarriage needs to be comparative just because you lost, you know, your baby, or if you weren't using that terminology, you know, lost your fetus at two or three weeks, it doesn't mean that you don't have something to bring to the conversation with someone that maybe lost their baby a lot further, f- further away, right. you know, and so I think just more, more commonality, more empathy mm-hmm. and more kind of, um, discussion is, is, is so important. Totally. Yeah. Because I think that when it can happen for someone, they immediately go sometimes to worst case scenario and are like, am I ever going to get pregnant? Does this mean I can't get pregnant? And so I really urge people to have the conversation more because the more people know what happens, the more they'll see that they can hopefully have success like that it it doesn't necessarily just mean it's not going to happen for you yeah hard to shift from that conversation but talking about we talked about this a little bit talking about birth plans a bit Mm -hmm. obviously there there's so much that goes into labor and there's so many different phases of it. But if you could give us just like a little bit of a cliff's notes of what you would tell someone in like a couple minutes of how, how to best prepare for labor mentally and physically. 
Yeah. Well, like I said earlier, I think education is really key. Mm. Um, you know, if you live in L.A., you know, there's Loom and we yeah. have our, you know, our prepped class, which is a three week class or our one day accelerated prep, which class, is what I did, which is what you did. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I learned things like I I would never, ever have known what to do. When I got in there, they wanted to give me Pitocin. And had I not gone to your class, I would never have known what Pitocin was. And maybe that's naive of me or ignorant, and I didn't do much reading otherwise, I'll admit that. But just to have that empowerment to know that, okay, this is what will happen if I do, this is what will happen if I don't. Like this education is so important. If I could give any advice to anybody, it would be to just educate themselves on labor. So yeah. that's why I'm asking you to give the cliffs notes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'm on, I'm on the same page as you. And yeah. in terms of things to keep in mind with labor is that the hope is that everything goes smoothly, right? right? And we have to keep in mind that your body and your baby are built to move through this process. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to know, especially for a first time mom, that labor typically is not fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're looking at, you know, anywhere from, you know, 12 hours or more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just to be patient with that process. Uh, also, if you're having an unmedicated labor, you know, there is what I like to describe as like a sophistication to the uterus. You know, you're not having, you know, contractions for minutes and minutes on end. You're going to have a contraction, you're going to have a break. Right. You're going to have a contraction, you're going to have a break. And so the key thing would be to learn to use those breaks as opposed to being like, okay, that was super intense and you're waiting and bracing for the next one. Mm-hmm. Just be like, okay, nothing's happening right now. Like enjoy that moment. Let me just close yeah. my eyes. Try Let to me stay calm in those moments. Exactly, yeah. and then also really knowing like when it's time to pivot. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if the labor is going well, you're like managing well with each contraction, and you're able to do it unmedicated. You know, that's fantastic, and go for it. And I love that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think there's a really fine line with labor between you know coping well and like you know doing it and kind of pain and suffering. Right, and so. You know, as a doula, what I'm always kind of looking out for is, okay, how do I keep you in like coping and killing it Mm -hmm. as opposed to like pain and suffering? And so, you know, whether you have a doula or not, or you're there with your partner, your chosen family, like really helping people be able to help you to figure out like where you are on that spectrum. And so some of that might be like coming up with a safe word that means like if I say this word, Mm -hmm. I think it's time for me to, you know, get an epidural. And, And I think on top of that is there's no need to be, you know, a warrior unnecessarily. You know, there isn't, there isn't a reward. You're still a warrior if you get an epidural. Exactly. I mean, I felt like one and I got the epidural. Yeah. I mean, it's like we live in 2019. I mean, there's, there is, there are tools available to provide you comfort in labor should you wish. Mm -hmm. And to choose those tools doesn't make you any less of a mother. Right. Doesn't make you weak. It just makes you a person that's using their 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 tools right. using what tools are there so i think yeah the education is key being patient using the breaks in between contractions to rest you know gauging that line between coping and suffering and making sure you're staying where you need to be between those lines mm-hmm. and then you know always asking for you know a little bit of powwow space before you agree to an intervention you know right. if pitocin is offered or if they need to break your bag of waters or if they need to augment which is the term that's used in the hospital environment, which means to like, you know, add some things to the mix to help move the labor along or help, you know, um, 
deliver your baby, you can always say, hey, can I have a few minutes just to talk? Right. And that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, I think, too, not to be afraid to ask for uh, another care provider, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the labor experience, you know, if you feel like the nurse that you're working with or, um, you know, if you're birthing outside of the hospital's, you know, environment, you know, if there's a person in your team um, that's not feeling good for you. It's okay to ask for somebody else. I did that. Yeah. I did that. One of the the hardest parts for me, which sounds so trivial now, but I had the IV in my wrist Mm -hmm. and it was so excruciating. And I asked the nurse, can I have like, can we either re put it in or some ice or something? She was like, that's just the way it is. You're just going to have to deal with that. And my mom then came and my mom was a nurse. And so she said, no, you can get an ice pack to put on top. And anyways, I ended up asking the hospital, I said, unfortunately, I don't think this nurse really wants to help me. Can we get someone else? Good for you. And so I highly, highly recommend people empowering themselves to to do that because it changes your whole energy. 100%. And then you you just have more strength knowing that you have a more supportive team behind you. Totally. Yeah. 100%. And now a word from our sponsor. Have you ever gone online and you see something that you love and it looks so amazing on the model and then you get it in the mail and it's not amazing. It doesn't fit the same way. It's not the same color. The fabric looks cheap. Yeah, I know. It's happened to all of us. On top of that, I've been trying to find clothes that don't have a huge impact on the environment. I mean, the fashion industry is a really, really, really polluting environment. The fashion industry is actually a really, really polluting industry. So we all have to do our part in helping to end that. I'm here to tell you about something that can really, really, really help out with this. It's a company called Frank and Oak. Style Plan by Frank and Oak is clothing for men and women curated by a combination of amazing stylists and AI. The process is so simple. You tell them a little bit about yourself by taking a style quiz, preview your monthly subscription box, then you can take seven days to decide what you love and send back what you don't want. This is honestly so great because I got to put in all the colors I don't like, all of the necessities I needed. I can preview my box, which I just mentioned, which is so great because it's so nice to be able to see the things before they're actually sending them to you. And you have a whole week to actually go through and edit what you want. It's super flexible. The style plan is a subscription with plenty of flexibility. You can customize your choices and confirm what you'll be getting in your subscription box before it ships. You can skip a month or you can cancel any time and shipping and returns are always free. The best part of this for me, like I mentioned before, is that it's really clothing with a purpose. The style plan by Frank and Oak, it's really dedicated to providing you with purposefully designed products and timeless fashion pieces made ethically. Sometimes I don't really like shopping for basics. It can be a little boring. So I love that I was able to take this quiz and tell them I was looking for specific basics and specific colors. And they chose them for me and chose things that I would never actually pick out on my own. They're really sustainable. The Style Plant products are made with eco-friendly processes. Some of the fabrics they work with include hemp, linen, and denim, made with up to 95% less water than normal denim. Discover what your wardrobe has been missing. Go to frankenoak.com slash withwit and get $25 off your first subscription box and try the Style Plan by Frank and Oak completely risk-free. That's frankenoak.com slash withwit for $25 off your first subscription box. frankenoak.com slash withwit. There you have it. Now back to the show. 
if you can, you know, afford to have a doula or you're curious about one, I would definitely look into it. I think having another person in the room that is there for you mm-hmm. is so critical. And that knows more of your options because exactly. you don't necessarily know all of the things that are available to totally. you, all yeah. the different options, yeah. but you would, yeah. you as a doula would. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. That's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely got me through. I think also you helped get my husband through, which was major because I think that partners don't always know their place. Mm -hmm. They can feel really, really helpless. Mm -hmm. And you had some really good advice for, for partners. So maybe you can just share that with a lot of the partners who don't know how to support their significant others in the in the hospital room or in the at home wherever the birth is happening. Yeah, I think I think the key thing for partners that are feeling a little lost is knowing that, you know, the birth environment is not necessarily a place of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of witnessing mm-hmm. and it's a lot of you know, waiting to be brought in. And I think for, you know, partners that can be hard because I'm imagining that their role typically is a much more active role, proactive role. Mm -hmm. And so I think partners need to know that them just being in the room and holding that space can be profoundly helpful. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the do nothing is actually doing a lot. Totally. And I think, you know, words of affirmation can be extremely helpful um, mm-hmm. throughout the labor, just saying, like, you're doing great. You know, um, you look beautiful. That was a great decision. That was a good contraction. Um, you know, those things can be really helpful as well. Um, you know, and again, empowering your partner around whatever decisions they want to make. And, right. you know, I think some partners will come to the table with like, I'd really like for you to have a medicated birth or like, it would just be so much easier if you had a cesarean, you know? I can't deal with that. Yeah. Like it's not happening to their body. I mean, I understand it's their child too. Yes. But the priority should just be to get the child out safely. Exactly. And for the, the person who's birthing the child to be as comfortable and like healthy as possible. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So if they're, if you're in that kind of situation with your partner where you feel like they're giving, having a lot of feedback Mm -hmm. about the birth experience, you know, the advice really would be like, it's okay to give an opinion, but if that opinion isn't comfortable, Mm -hmm. you know, offer it once and let it go, you know, and really, really give the mother, the laboring person, like the, you know, the autonomy and the, uh, you know, and the, and the empowerment around like whatever decision is going to feel, you mm-hmm. know, best for them. And I think too, like for partners, you know, make sure you're going to the classes too. Like, you know, in labor, a mom is preoccupied. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, really what we, and what I typically look to partners for is to remember the parts of the class. Right. You know? Because, yeah, the mom is not thinking about all the different technicalities. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so to kind of be the lookout, to be the advocate, to be the one to kind of run interference on friends and family members Mm -hmm. or to be the one to ask for another care, Mm -hmm. another nurse, you know. So, you know, again, it's it's like on both ends of the spectrum, you know, from like doing nothing is actually doing something to having the tools and information to be effective Mm -hmm. if things need to pivot or if there needs to be reminders of like, you know, certain things that you know need need to happen so I think I think those are the ways that you know that partners can be be helpful and then also recognizing that although it's 
a child that you're going to share, it's a physiological experience that will only be hers. So really honoring that and allowing her to have that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, sense of empowerment around whatever decision she's making. I think it's really important what you said about the partner going to the classes and doing the learning and helping with the preparation because it is such a huge responsibility for for the partner who's having the baby and it sets up a good relationship moving forward for all the things that you guys need to share together. Mm-hmm. You know, this needs the attention paid to labor needs to be paid to all of the things. hundred percent. I'm leading up to it. I mean, breastfeeding, which is what I want to get into next is like having Timmy support and him being in all the, the hours with me with the lactation consultant and the baby nurse and the, the, pediatrician and then the plastic surgeon who I went to that helped clear mastitis, like having him by my side to listen to all those things, not only just to help me with all the technical things I wasn't remembering, but to feel his support was just unbelievable. So So, helpful. So breastfeeding. I obviously had a really, really hard time with breastfeeding. Yeah, I remember that. I, it was excruciatingly painful mm-hmm. for me. I ended up getting home from the hospital and I think it was like night two. I, I got some formula because I it was too painful for me to actually breastfeed. And then within five days, I switched to exclusively pumping because the pump wasn't as painful mm-hmm. as him actually latching. And then I pumped exclusively for six months and got mastitis three times. Kudos to you. Um, My exclusive pumping moms. I'm like, I don't even know how I did it, but I, we need to talk about why women think that breast milk is the best thing for the baby. Like, why are we so, why are we forcing ourselves to these insane extremes in order to breastfeed our babies? Is it that much better than formula? I mean, I, it, you know, I know it's not, that's a kind of a scary question, but it's not, it's not a scary question. I mean, we can, we can, you know, we can ground it in logic really quickly. Yeah. I mean, the fact of the matter is breast milk is a superior fluid to mm-hmm. formula. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. And it is because it has, you know, you know, emulogical properties to it, right? So it helps to fortify, you know, the child's immune system. And, you know, to the point, for example, you know, breast milk or human milk, um, if you don't consider yourself someone who has breasts, mm-hmm. uh, is constantly fluctuating. So it's changing its caloric content. It's changing its, you know, immuno, you know, fighting contents, depending on what is in the baby's environment. So there's this feedback loop going between your baby and your body down to your milk to make sure that it's got the exact things that are needed to help protect your baby in whatever environment your baby's in. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that formula, although it's going to help your baby thrive and grow and it's going to be nutrition and your baby is actually going to be perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. It's not going to change its contents based on what your baby is needing. So you're dealing you're dealing with a fluid that is static mm-hmm. but nutritious mm-hmm. and a fluid that is dynamic and also nutritious. Got it. And so so those so those are the pieces. So when we think about like why are we making the effort to breastfeed from just a health perspective, that would probably be base one. Mm-hmm. From there, in terms of just what it does for the mother-baby diet or the mother-baby relationship, uh, it definitely provides you know a different layer of you know connection mm-hmm. hormonally, 
physiologically, not psychologically, just mm-hmm. what happens every time your milk releases from your breast. It's There's an oxytocin release. Mm-hmm. And when we release oxytocin, it is the same thing that's released in our body when we have an orgasm. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you just feel there's just this intense like circuitry loop of just like, you know, this deep, intense love that is primarily physiological right Right. now cutting back to formula when you're holding a bottle and you're feeding your baby you're still going to feel those maternal feelings of love you're still going to have like a dopamine response you're going to have some physiological components that are going to obviously bond you with your baby Mm -hmm. but there isn't this kind of specific mechanism to kind of perpetuate that process that happens with breastfeeding Mm -hmm. okay so that Mm -hmm. that would be the other thing and obviously when you're breastfeeding you're you know you're burning some calories there's like this also like physical physiological benefit for the mom Mm -hmm. too and also with the hormonal flux you're going through like getting this nice hit of oxytocin like all day every day Mm -hmm. um feels really nice and it helps kind of like ebb you out of the you know the kind of ups and downs you're probably having um you know hormonally Mm -hmm. so so those are some like some some you know some interesting components that that really do help kind of uh, you know, anchor the argument of, you know, why uh, human milk might be preferable. Yeah. However, what we have to realize is, again, it's this whole idea of we birth the way that we live, right? We also feed the way that we live. Our culture is not supportive of women who want to breastfeed their babies. Mm-hmm. There's there's not enough comfortable places to, you know, feed easily like in the world. Um, there's a lot of like stigma. People look at you. They make it uncomfortable for you to do mm-hmm. this thing. That's like, oh, that woman's breastfeeding. Yeah. 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 You can feel it. The eyes. Yeah. 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 People. And and then even if you're not breastfeeding and you're exclusively pumping, it's like, where do I do it? Where's the best environment? How do I get it home? Mm-hmm. So very little about our culture in this country is saying, hey, I really want you to breastfeed. Right. However, we're getting this entire intense kind of push back from the medical community to breastfeed. So for me, when I look at the situation, I, I, I obviously I do really support breastfeeding, but mm-hmm. I also realize how hard it is mm-hmm. because of the lack of support mm-hmm. and not just like societally, also just in terms of breastfeeding requires community. Mm-hmm. You don't just like latch your baby on and you breastfeed and you keep going. Like it, it actually statistically, we know it does better when you have someone to talk to about it mm-hmm. you have someone to check in on you right about it and again the affordability accessibility of a good lactation consultant you know of a good educator counselor you know it's not everywhere no and so there's a lot of like blocks around the ability to to you know to to do that actual work of breastfeeding mm-hmm. and then when we look at our you know parental leave it's not really there you go back to work at six weeks you know your milk supply is only established around two weeks you're getting the hang of it at four and then you're out at six right so how do we how do you sustain that yeah 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 and so when we think about the ability to breastfeed it becomes an economical conversation people that have the luxury of being able to exclusively breastfeed typically probably are in a situation where they can make their own schedule Mm -hmm. um they might not need to work Mm -hmm. that much like there's this there's some kind of capability for them to be able to be home more um and that's not really available to a lot of people or on the other side if you have the economic capability you know to maybe do that you might be in a job that is not going to make space for that so all of that and wish to say like to my moms that are able to exclusively breastfeed like I am so like down for you and I'm I love it and that's fantastic but to the women that aren't 
and don't have an interest to or don't feel like they have infrastructure to support that, it's mm-hmm. okay. Well, what if it's not even about that they're not able to or that they don't have the infrastructure, it's that they don't like it? Well, so here's my <laughs> other piece. The thing about breastfeeding that I think I wish was discussed more mm-hmm. is, you know, our breasts are modified sweat glands. They're made specifically to do this job. Mm-hmm. Also, they provide pleasure, but hey, <laughs> they're mostly <laughs> to breastfeed, right? Yeah. Um you go from maybe not having a ton of nipple stimulation in your life to having a small person suck on your nipples from like for like 16 to 18 hours mm-hmm. a day. Mm-hmm. It it doesn't feel great. No. It doesn't feel great. It's a lot of sensation. It's a lot of tactility. And for some women, it's too much. And just the, the sensation of the suction doesn't feel very good. And regardless of the hormonal feedback they're getting, the oxytocin, it's just not cutting it. This is what was me. Yeah. And then I was resenting the moment that I had to feed him. Yep. And then became resentful of my entire situation. Yep. Yep. And the thing is, it's if that is the case for you, I don't I don't want you to feel any guilt or shame around that because, again, it's 2019. Mm-hmm. We have fantastic pumps on the market. Should you want to give your baby human milk from you, you can just pump. Right. And also, I think we need to give like more very loud like snaps and hand claps to our moms that are exclusively pumping because it's crazy hard. Yeah. It's like. It's almost as hard as breastfeeding. It's actually, it's harder than breastfeeding in a way. I didn't even realize when I decided to do it, it was purely a physical thing because it was just so painful. Mm -hmm, So I was mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm just going to do this pumping thing. And my mom kept on saying, Whitney, what you're going through is so much harder than actually just breastfeeding. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Why don't you try that again? Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, I just know I can't do it. And so for me, it, in my head, I had, I told myself it was the easier, better option because I still wanted to give him my breast milk. But yeah, it is, it's crazy just because it's not only the actual pumping that you're dealing with, it's then having to deal with all the cleanup and the parts and the transportation and the planning and all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about it too, is you know exclusive pumping is on the rise Mm -hmm. more and more people are doing it Mm -hmm. and you know and I think there just needs to be again as always more conversation about it right and um, just acknowledging that if that's your choice to do that, that that's an, that's an excellent choice. Mm-hmm. Your baby is still going to be getting that, you know, nutrition. It's going to be getting all of those immunosupportive properties. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very rewarding experience, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And for me, I think, again, just like I described with the birth component, I, I don't appreciate the competition and hierarchy within how we feed our babies. Yes. It's key that fed is best. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if your situation allows you to be able to breastfeed, wonderful. If it doesn't, that's okay because it's a long life. Right. And, you know, this 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 time is again, it shapes where things go, but we cannot attach so much emphasis to one one phase and and one 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 component of the phase you know and i think maternal happiness is really important do you think it's the most important yes 100 Mm -hmm. i do because besides a child that has you know that's has an acute or or chronic illness obviously you know that's a whole other thing of course right but in terms of if your baby is you know doing well and meeting developmental goals and thriving you know that maternal health is so important because if you're not happy 
it is going to severely negatively impact the child. Mm -hmm. And so I think we really have to focus on what is going to build her up, what's going to make her feel confident and what's going to make her want to mother with ease and also mother with joy. And so if you are, you know, fighting whether you want to breastfeed or formula feed, please feel supported around making the decision that's going to make you feel the most sane and the most comfortable because you need those two components to be a mother that is going to be able to nurture her child, you know, from a, you know, calm and collected and organized place. Mm -hmm. Because everything else will fall apart if you don't have your wits intact. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Literally your wits intact. I didn't even think about that. And now a little break to hear from our sponsor. A lot of you guys have probably heard of Thrive Market before. It's an online marketplace on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. They offer the highest quality, healthy, and sustainable products available for every budget, lifestyle, and geography. I personally love Thrive Market because wine gives me headache. And I have this new thing where if I don't drink an organic wine, which sounds so LA, by the way, and I'm so annoying for saying this out loud, but if I don't drink an organic wine, I get a headache because I've been told that a lot of wine companies put a lot of extra things in wine that don't need to be in there and that gives me a headache. So I really depend on Thrive Market for organic wines that can be delivered to my door. How many places can actually do that? Basically, Join Thrive and unlock endless savings. You can shop for thousands of the best-selling organic foods and natural products at 25 to 50% below traditional retail prices. Do you guys know what else is at Thrive Market? Bundle. For all you pregnant and nursing women, you have to try Bundle. I've been telling you guys about it, but I won't get all into that, but just look up Bundle and get the tastiest snacks ever. Higher standards are Thrive's higher power. Shopping at Thrive Market means supporting a select group of brands that make the world a better place. They sell non-GMO food, snacks, vitamins, supplements, personal care products, eco-friendly cleaning supplies, safe and non-toxic beauty products, kitchen staples, home goods, organic baby food, kids products, and so much more. Plus, like I said, it's all shipped straight to your door. Find what you're looking for without actually having to look for it. They have this really easy filter system where you can filter your selection by the values that matter most to you. So whether you're paleo or gluten-free or vegan or kosher or ketogenic, you can shop for 90 plus values, also including non-GMO, sustainably farmed, fair trade certified, BPA-free, and more in just one click of a button. That's how I find my organic wines, by the way. No more reading labels because Thrive Market does the homework for you. Here's what I have for you guys. 25% off your first order and a free 30-day trial. Keep in mind that Thrive Market's prices are already 25 to 50% off. So now they're giving you an extra 25% off your first order and a free 30-day trial. Go to thrivemarket.com slash withwit. Many of you will be making a grocery run this week. I will probably be making three. So why not give Thrive Market a try and shop from your home? Thrivemarket.com slash with wit, you guys. Go there now. And now back to the conversation. So I want to talk about signs of postpartum depression Mm. because I think that a lot of people are also afraid to talk about this. I actually called my doctor after I had Sunny. It was like a month after I had Sunny. And I said, I'm feeling a bit down. I'm having such a hard time breastfeeding. And she said to me, are you worried or concerned that you may hurt yourself or your child? And I said, 
no, those aren't concerns. And she said, well, then I think that you're probably okay. Just whatever is, whatever you're feeling is likely normal. And it was kind of just like a short, quick conversation like that. Mm -hmm. And looking back on it, I feel like I possibly could have had some postpartum depression, but never actually diagnosed myself or did anything about it or talked about it. What, what can be some of the warning signs for someone that may be dealing with some postpartum depression and, and who can they talk to and what can they do? Well, so I think I'll start with who they could talk to. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the first line of defense might be your child's pediatrician mm-hmm. because you're going in for those appointments pretty frequently. You'll see your pediatrician probably more often and sooner than you might see your OBGYN or or your midwife potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so just expressing to them, you know, that you're not necessarily feeling like yourself um, can be a nice way to start. Um, and then obviously from there going to, you know, your primary care provider, your OB, mm-hmm. um, to kind of express what's going on. And, you know, they're able to typically give you something to kind of hold you over if you are open to medication before you can get, you know, a, you know, a psychiatric or a psychological referral right for postpartum depression in terms of you know noticing it or what are some signs I think some of the signs might be a lack of interest in taking care of the baby a lack of interest in taking care of yourself like not really eating not really sleeping well and oftentimes it's not just depression it's depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. the two kind of like meet each other or it's kind of like I think my friend Jessica, Dr. Zucker described it as there's like a lightning bolt and then there's thunder. And sometimes, you know, the lightning bolt is the anxiety and then the thunder is the depression. It's like mm-hmm. it's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes you might, you know, notice yourself or if you have a friend kind of obsessing about how many feeds they've done, obsessing about how many diapers and like maybe when the feed is over they're already like stressing out about when the next feed is going to be when you have like definitely me yeah Mm -hmm. when you have like three or four hours between now and the next feed Mm -hmm. you should just chill out like Mm -hmm. you shouldn't feel like you're so ramped up you know uh so you know it can be more subtle it can be things like that so i think it's understanding that it's typically not just depression on its own it's sometimes there's a nice like i said like lightning bolt of anxiety that shows up um you know you know hypervigilance that's shows up before the depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also if you have a history of depression and anxiety, kind of being on guard and knowing that there's a potential that, especially once those pregnancy hormones are no longer there, um, that those uh, you know symptoms could kind of creep up again. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to make sure that your partner really is, if you have a partner that is, mm-hmm. is, is paying attention or your chosen family or friends, or if you have a postpartum doula, people who can um, evaluate, you know, what is normal for you, um, you know, and, and kind of be able to, you know, assess mm-hmm. and kind of give you some support there. But those would kind of be the things I, that, that I typically right. would and have what, noticed. What would a doctor do to help or prescribe or, you know, I mean, what if you don't want to be on medication when you're breastfeeding or is it there are certain ones that are safe? Well, typically, again, you know, I'm not a clinician, so I can't speak right. in, in terms of what the best prescription medication would mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are prescription medications that are safe to use while breastfeeding. We always have to remember if you are breastfeeding or exclusively pumping uh, that the amount of medication that gets to your baby is very little because you're taking it. It's getting broken down in your stomach, going into your bloodstream 
stream, then going into your milk, then it's going into your baby's mouth, into your baby's stomach, then right. into your baby's blood. So it's a long trail. As opposed to when you are pregnant, we like to say whatever you're taking during, during the pregnancy is mainline to the baby. So there's that piece. I think medication for me, I always say it is a conduit to the next plan. Right. You don't have to be on it forever. Um, typically, if you are suffering from anxiety or depression in that kind of early postpartum period, it probably is chemical. Mm-hmm. It probably is environmental too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're the only country I think in the world where it's normal for two people to take care of one baby. Um, you're supposed to have more help. Um, and that's good to know. Yeah. So I shouldn't feel so guilty about asking. For no, help not at all. It's not normal. It's yeah. really not normal. I mean, and that's not saying that I don't, I'm not one of those people yeah. that's too proud and doesn't ask. Mm-hmm. I ask for a lot of good. help with my child. You but- should. It's supposed to be a number of different hands. Mm -hmm. So it's like two people or, you know, single mothers, one person, one baby. um, And it's kind of an impossible task. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, in terms of, you know, navigating that experience, it's like, you know, you're not having enough help. Definitely not having enough help, not having good nutrition, postpartum, not Mm -hmm. having good, just like support Mm -hmm. is the environmental like weight. And then you're sleep deprived because, you know, babies sleep in small spurts. So you're not getting that good kind of chunk of sleep and that sleep hygiene is, you know, tanks you. Um, And then on top of that, you know, to have the chemical fluxes that are going on. So that that's kind of, it's like a really kind of diabolical combination. Mm -hmm. So I think, You know, if we can't switch the environment, which for a lot of people you can't because either financially or just like there's just not the help that's there. Uh, Sometimes what we need to look at is a chemical shift. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, we get to a better place where you're able to feel a little bit more in front of things um, and you can taper off your meds. I mean, a lot of people go through acute usage of medication and it's fine. And when I say acute, it's it's a certain stint and then you're you're done, you know, Um, and you find other tools, whether it's like cognitive behavioral therapy or Mm -hmm. you're able to exercise regularly again Mm -hmm. or eat better so i think in that postpartum period if you are struggling with anxiety depression we need to we need to get you out of survival mode and get you back into just a nice baseline and Mm -hmm. sometimes that can be the trick Mm -hmm. for me i feel like it comes in waves like it's not only i i I get that anxiety and depression like even still Mm -hmm. which and i feel postpartum sometimes like it feels like it takes me back to the Mm -hmm. days of when i just had sunny Mm -hmm. and so I don't know whether that has anything to do with, generally speaking, just the identity shift of becoming a mom and how my life is just constantly changing every single day once you become a mom. Well, tell us where to find you. Tell us about your online course. Yes. Um, So you can find me on Instagram. It's just my full name, (laughs) Erica Judy Cohen. And then um, my latest or newest uh, offering. So I wrote a book called Nurture and it is a guide to pregnancy, birth, and early motherhood. And I just released an online course uh, that's a birth course based off of that book. So you can find out more about that at, at the Nurture Book on uh, the Instagram again. Yeah. And actually, we made a really special code for all of you listeners. If there's anyone that would want to take the course, it's an online birth course mm-hmm. and it's basically a non judgmental option-filled support guide for anyone that's about to go uh, through that experience. Amazing. I highly recommend it. Obviously, a lot of you guys are not in Los Angeles and don't have access to Loom and Erica. So if you want the education, I highly recommend checking that out. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you You for having me. You have made me me feel so much better. Oh, good. That makes me so happy. Great. Thank Thank you. you. 
All right. Well, that was so much fun. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Always feel free to direct message me any more questions that you have about this. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us your comments and let us know what you like about it or what you don't. You won't hurt my feelings. And don't forget to watch our recaps. Timmy and I have been watching The Hills every Monday night and posting our reactions to them on either Wednesday or Thursday. And so it's a really fun way. Sometimes if you don't want to watch the whole episode, you can just watch all the fun scenes that we react to. So if you're missing me on The Hills, definitely check out my YouTube. Okay, bye guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you loved this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review because I want to hear from you guys. You can let me know what you thought of this episode or anything more you want to hear about. Thanks. Peace in the streets.